Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week on the show, we have Deanna Roy. Yes. Oh my gosh, y'all. It's so good. <laughs> I didn't want it to end. It was so good. Uh, Deanna Wright, she has several pen names, but her most popular pen name is JJ Knight. Uh, mm-hmm. And she's been just crazy successful with that pen name. And uh, she has so much good knowledge and she just shares it really freely. So mm-hmm. you're going to love yeah. it. Yeah, this one was very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. We talked a lot about like writing craft and mm-hmm. um, she talked about writing short stories. And, yeah. you know, we haven't really talked about short stories much. She talked about no, that, that helps yeah. you. Um, talked about cover test. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. It was very interesting. Yeah. 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 And um, another thing that stood out for me was her um, learning which books were cold. Which she could advertise to cold audiences and which mm-hmm. ones she could advertise to warm audiences. Mm-hmm. So just you know, imposter syndrome. We talked yes. about too. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, she sort of had a moment where she thought, well, this is all over. I'm going to have to just get a job and maybe only write when I can. And then the uh, JJ Knight pen name really took off and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, she and, doesn't look back. Yeah. yeah. And she's licensed that to a traditional publisher. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, so it, it's there's really something in this interview for everyone. So. Really? It is. <laughs> really and good. then she, and she talks to us about uh, the recommendation engine on Amazon and Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just a lot of really great information. So what's, uh, well, let's talk about our supporters. Yes. So we yeah. have new supporters this week. We have mm-hmm. Christy Cole and she has the crown. Yeah. And then we have Alexis Masters with the heart. Yeah. And Susan LaDuke has the uh, flexing arm, like yeah. strong arm. Strong. Yeah, strong, strong lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you guys for supporting us. If you want to support us, you could you can go to wishiknownforwriters.com to support us. We appreciate you guys so much. I just can't even tell you. Yeah. It just makes us happy you. every time yeah. we see somebody supporting and just to know that they're supporters for the podcast, that yeah. it's listener supported. It's just yeah. very cool. Yeah. It's a, it's just affirming and I, yeah. we really appreciate it. So yeah. anything going on with you this week? Uh, not much. I'm finishing up all the little things on the store, getting mm-hmm. Sarah Rosette books. Mm-hmm. com ready to go right and that is about it like i was yeah. trying to think today do i have anything to talk about and really no that's about it that's all yeah. i have going on <laughs> well i um i don't have a whole lot uh was i talking about my amazon and my facebook ad i can't remember but anyway i had this facebook ad that just was crazy cost per click was super low like below a cent and everything on the ad looked great but my money wasn't really matching that you know but my rank was doing okay so I just decided and I have the attribution thing and I'm not Mm -hmm. sure I really know how to read it correctly but I just thought you know what I'm gonna stop it it wasn't a whole lot but I just want to see well my rank has just plummeted in mm-hmm. not a good direction. And uh so I guess it was doing something, but it just wasn't making the money. So I think I, I was getting downloads, but they must have been KU downloads uh and people hadn't read yet. I don't yeah, really maybe. know. So I'm gonna change it. I'm gonna try it again with a different audience and see mm-hmm. if maybe I can get warmer readers as opposed yeah. to the colder readers and we'll see what happens but anyway that's about it i've just been looking at ads and stuff um thanks everybody who's sent positive comments uh from last week's podcast that we appreciate it i appreciate yeah. it and uh yeah and also one other thing is jamie does consulting so oh yeah you I have do. any want to chat with somebody about ways you can make your book sell better 
Jamie's always doing consulting. Yeah, I am. I, I, right now, that's really all I'm doing. Um, and in fact, I made a post today about a consulting call I had yesterday. It was actually a follow up. And it was just so exciting because we had talked about a lot of things in the first call. And then yesterday was the, a week later. And she, like, she knew what she needed to do. It was just a hard decision. Mm -hmm. And she just needed somebody to say, yeah, you're making the right decision. Yeah. You've looked at all the information we talked about and, and you're making the right decision. But sometimes you just need that moral support. And uh, sometimes you need confirmation from another author, not from someone who's like, your no. best friend from high school. Right. Really I've got no, the only about. emotional investment I have is that I want to see people succeed yeah. and that's it. I'm not emotionally tied to your covers, to your blurbs, to your mama who you wrote the book for. I, I'm not, I'm not tied to any of that. I just want she's to see impartial. You. Except I'm she's impartial. on your side. <laughs> yes. But um, anyway, it just gives me tons of energy. It mm-hmm. It just makes me feel great. And Actually, this author, she's super smart. She's super prolific. I mean, she just, just a little nudge is really Mm -hmm. all she needed to get going in the right direction. And I really think she's made a really wise choice and I'm excited to see what happens. So yeah, if anybody's interested uh, for podcast listeners, I give you a $25 discount. So just make sure you let me know that you're a listener when you email me and you can email me. You can find the email link at my website, uh, jamiealbright.com backslash consultation, I think is what it is. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll put that in the show notes too. Thanks. So, okay. All right. Let's get on. We've got like this great interview. You're going to love it. Yes. All right. So here is Deanna. Well, today we are super excited to talk to Deanna Roy. Hi, Deanna. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Well, we are glad you're here. I've been wanting to get you on and I kept forgetting to ask. And so, you know, I'm glad you're here. So, <laughs> All right, well, let's read your bio here. Deanna Roy is a six-time USA Today bestselling and Kindle all-star author of women's fiction and romantic com- comedy under four pen names, including J.J. Knight. She has published 65 books, both as an indie and with a traditional publisher. She is a baby lost mom, a foster and adoptive mom, and is a fierce mama bear. Mm-hmm. She trained with MMA fighters for one of her romance books and knows how to drop the average human in five moves. Awesome. <laughs> I didn't know that. I When we were going over your uh, bio just before we got on, I went, oh my gosh. <laughs> You know, like, that's that was awesome. One of the reasons JJ and I did so well is because I did those fight class updates while I was taking, it was me at 44 with a bunch of 20 year old guys. So of course it was great reading. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, tell us how you got into writing. I'm one of those really, you know, typical writers who from the minute I started putting words together, I knew this was what I was going to do. Mm. So I wrote my first picture book when I was six wow. and I wrote my first full length novel when I was 16. Mm. Of course, all of us have trouble figuring out what are we going to do to actually support ourselves. I was very aware of that New Yorker cartoon. It has a, a guy sitting on a bench and says, what is the difference between a writer and a park bench? A park bench can support a family. <laughs> so going into it, I knew I'm going to get a degree in journalism. I'm going to be an editor. So all that all that was part of the the journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, finding my author's voice was a big part of the, the late 80s and 90s mindset. So I wrote a lot of short stories. Mm-hmm. I got a few of them placed in a few small places, but I didn't get super serious about writing a full-length novel until I was 35. Mm-hmm. Um, I discovered mm-hmm. National Novel Writing Month in 2005. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was 35 years old and I wrote my first adult novel. So despite mm-hmm. a very early start, I didn't actually <laughs> really get into it. Until I got a little more settled. Um, That year was pivotal in my life. It's one of those moments that your life sort of shifts, Mm -hmm. big monumental Mm -hmm. shift. Mm -hmm. I met my first group of writer friends. Um, I was going through a divorce. I had two small children. I wanted to write a book. I didn't know how. National Novel Writing Month was a way for me to focus on it in a way I'd never Mm -hmm. done before. I also met my second husband. So oh. it was an incredible month of my life. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I was ready to look for an agent. It's 2005. Mm-hmm. We're still doing mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I spent the next four years writing about four to five novels and getting about 350 rejections. Mm-hmm. I, I remember turning 40 
and going, you know, uh, this is what I've always thought my whole life I ought to be. And I'm Mm -hmm. not going to get here. Mm -hmm. When I was in high school, you know, other people were getting Tiger Beat and Seventeen Magazine. And I was actually skipping lunch a few days a month to buy the writer magazine. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was the magazine that I read. Yes. Everyone else Me was too. looking at pictures of you know John Bon Jovi and thinks here I am, <laughs> my little nerdy magazine. Um, and here I'm 40 and I've done almost nothing, a few short stories. Uh, and I had written the books, but I couldn't get them to do anything. And in 2011, Jamie, I'm sure you'll remember this, so I don't know if you were, mm-hmm. where you were, but uh, J.A. Conrath and Barry Eisler mm-hmm. on my birthday. I mean, is that not a sign from <laughs> oh, the wow. On my birthday, I was 41, did that extremely long Google Doc that went viral because mm-hmm. Barry had decided not to take a six-figure advance, and instead mm-hmm. he was self-publishing, and he laid out all the reasons why you should. And I sat there and read that thing. And it was like, Eureka, (laughs) I'm going to do this. I'm going to self-publish these books that agents won't take. I can't get through the gatekeepers. I will be the gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. So I sat down to learn how to do it. Um, By the end of 2011, I had published my first book. I had a little bit of a leg up in that I had a website that at the time got about a million hits a month. Wow! Mm. And it was on pregnancy loss. I, at the time, if you... I don't think you were Googling me quite yet, maybe a little bit of Google, but still on Excite and Yahoo and some of those. I was like the second result for miscarriage symptoms. It was Mayo Clinic, then my little website. Wow. Because I'd been around for so long. I'd started Mm -hmm. the website in 98. Mm -hmm. I was selling about $1,000 worth a month of affiliate money on Amazon Mm -hmm. just with other people's books on pregnancy Mm -hmm. loss. So I Mm -hmm. thought, of course I can sell mine. And I had been using this angle with agents and based on the strength of that, quite a few agents had requested that none of them had wanted the book. I'm like, well, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it myself. So I did. I published Baby Dust in 2011. It was the first adult book that I put out, first real big publishing project I put out. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't change the world. It didn't make me a full-time author. But over the 10 years, it's made about $25,000. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I think that's considerably more than I would have gotten for oh, yeah. a women's fiction, very, you know, small, you know, sort of press type of book back mm-hmm. in those days. So it was the right choice. Mm-hmm. It also, mm-hmm. you know, got me started. Yeah. Now, it would be 12 more books and two Mm. more years before I was able to become a full-time author. Mm -hmm. But once I did figure out the sauce, the pattern, the things Mm -hmm. I needed to learn, Mm -hmm. um, since then, that's that's all I've done. Yeah, you haven't really looked back. Yeah. Actually, I don't don't remember that article or blog post because I wasn't writing then, but I had a similar experience with uh, Roxanne St. Clair. She came and spoke at our um, RWA conference, and I was part of the group that took her to dinner the night before, and she had just turned down a six-figure deal. Well, not just. It had been about nine months. And in that nine months, she had made more than the six-figure deal that she turned down by self-publishing. And it was the same thing. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the way I'm going. Yeah, so same thing. Yeah. Same exact thing. Yeah, it the the news got out quickly and it spread kind of like wildfire that you could mm-hmm. actually make money as a writer. It was like bizarre. Well, and People just have control it. too. Yeah. yeah, you know that was really big. Yeah, too. releasing books as often as you want is yeah. a big deal. Um, yeah. I'm lucky, you know, I have since signed a traditional publishing deal, but they're releasing my two books three months apart. That's pretty crazy. Oh my yeah. gosh, that's amazing! Yeah, yeah. have changed, huh? Yeah, things yeah. have changed. They, they've yeah. understood. They understand. Yes. Yeah. And we're going to talk really about that later. It. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll get to that. It's very interesting. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, tell us what is your def or what is your definition of success? Well, initially, it was just succeeding at anything. Like, could mm-hmm. I get mm-hmm. anything done at all? Mm-hmm. I had placed a few short stories, but. Initially, of course, that first anorimo was, can I write 50,000 words in, yeah. in 30 days? And I, I think I could have stopped there. I'm like, I did a thing. I did a thing that lots of other mm-hmm. people were doing. Of course, you know, publishing Baby Dust was a big step. It's like, I actually have a book out in the world. People mm-hmm. are reading it. Mm-hmm. This is fantastic. But for me, success, for what I was really looking for and what I think I'd been looking for from even when I graduated high school and went into journalism was to make my full-time income come from writing Mm -hmm. Uh, and not the sort of writing that I had been doing. I had worked at a hospital. I wrote uh, like 
publications for inside the hospital for patients. I had been at a magazine. I had written articles for them. None of those really felt like the thing that I wanted to do. Um, but mm-hmm. certainly by the time I was a full-time author's indie, I thought, okay, this, this, I'm here. I've done it. Now yeah. my definition of success is a little different. Um, I have a couple different goals that I'm still reaching for. I think we continue to grow and yeah. try to advance, mm-hmm. you know, both with either our income or either with our quality or with our mindset or what we want to influence. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, I'm really hoping to have my full-time income stay while I also write a hobby set of books. Mm -hmm. This is something I've been trying to do since 2019, and it hasn't quite happened yet because the day job (laughs) books keep taking up my time. I'm still working toward that goal where I write marketable books, and then I write these oddball little books that only a few people will buy just for my joy. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great... uh way to do it. If you can get to that point, I think that's, yeah. that's a really good plan because we all have those books that we want to write, but we think, oh, it's not, it's going to be hard to make this a good business decision, but sometimes mm-hmm. you need to do that to, for yourself, for your writing yeah. joy. Yeah. Absolutely. So to clear the cobwebs or prime the pump for other creative <laughs> endeavors yeah. or whatever your metaphor is, that's, Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, tell us what you wish you'd known about writing and craft. So you, you had a degree in journalism, so it wasn't like me going in completely blind to writing and craft. So tell us what you wish you'd known. I wish I had known that literature was not where I was going to land. I spent Mm. decades on literature Mm. when really I was, my voice, when I did finally figure out sort of what it was, didn't really lend itself to writing literature. And also that writing literature is never going to be a day job. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. like, can we count on one hand? Like Cormac McCarthy, I think that might be it. You know, unless they make movies from your literature, you're a professor or you Mm -hmm. lecture or you do something else. Mm -hmm. So giving that up sooner and, and doing what I loved, I loved loved reading romance novels. In fact, before I wrote, ever wrote one, I had a whole blog and Back when we were using GeoCities in like 98, <laughs> I had a romance review blog and I had thousands of reviews up there because I just just I just inhaled them in the way that our readers do now. Mm-hmm. I could read one every few days. It was just how I got <laughs> through the evenings and the weekends. Yes. So if I had done that sooner, I think I would have found success earlier in my life and not felt mm-hmm. that I had so many years that I was seeped in frustration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious about your short stories because I hear a lot of people say, you know, write short stories to learn to write. So um, how do you, do you feel that's a good preparation for, right? I don't know. Is it a good preparation for writing novels or is it just good writing chops? I I think it's a lot of things. One, it is learning who you are and what you have to say Mm -hmm. and getting it out sort of quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes, I mean, your first novel is daunting. I think it took me years to really finish my first novel. And now, I mean, I just finished a novel in 25 days, 75,000 word novel. I finished it on (laughs) two days ago. That's the (laughs) fastest I've ever done it. And I could only do that because I know my craft so well. I know story structure Mm -hmm. so well. Mm -hmm. I can spin characters so quickly. But early on, all those elements in a short story give you that sense of accomplishment on a shorter timeline, especially when Mm -hmm. it's your hobby. It's of course, it's your hobby. You're doing it at night on weekends. Um, I also, I always think back, I had a friend who was an artist and he said, you spend like three years just drawing hands over and over again. You've got to draw Mm -hmm. the hands well before you can draw the person. Right. And I always think of the short stories, the hands, they're the, the, the thing that gets you like all the little skills on a micro level that prepare you. Um, for that big book that you're going to eventually write. Oh, I love that um, word picture because you're right. Yeah. Because if you, the hands always give an artist away. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but like you'll see a picture and you're like, oh, that's so, oh, oh, what's happening at the end of their arm? Because <laughs> the hands are too big or they're too small. Yeah. So it's, it's true that you, I love that that because that is true. You learn to do the those little things that really set your stories apart, helps you find your voice. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I've been teaching um, a beginner class. I only teach it once a year, and I'm actually moved on to intermediate for the writers who get Texas. I kind of do it as a fundraiser for them. But for about five years, once a year, I teach a abject just beginner class. You've mm-hmm. not published a thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I tell them, and this is on the short story idea, is to publish a short story first. 
Like Mm. practice on a short story. There's no shiny reason to be a debut author with your book of your heart that you've been writing for 10 years when you're in the indie space. It's not like the trad space. Practice the the process. Get a cover made. Put it on Kindle. You know, get that little paperback, tiny little paperback that's only 50 pages or whatever. Get it done. Get it in your hands. Understand what a gutter is. Figure Mm -hmm. out what you've done before. You put that big book of your heart, the one that you wrote because your grandma, you know, told you you should. That one is so big. I really, every single time I tell them, don't publish that yet. Like, let's Mm -hmm. set that one aside. Mm -hmm. Can you write a short story in that world? Can you write a prequel in that world? If it's nonfiction, can you take one of your points, write a whole bunch of like anecdotes with that point and publish that? Because it will serve you so well, not just as your practice run but it will be your loss leader. It will be your magnet. It will be all the things you're going to need for your indie career. And you did it and got it out of the way. And it also kept you from rushing. You didn't rush in. Many, many of these, um, the starter indie authors, they come to me like a month, two, three months after their book has come out and say, what do I do? It's not really selling. And I'm like, okay. So -hmm. you can rescue a book. You can rescue one. Absolutely. And I have rescue plans, but it's so much harder than if you had launched in those first 30 days in a way that taught the algorithms who your reader was, what mm-hmm. your market was, it's now going to be a lot harder. So do the practice one first, get yeah. all that out of the way and yeah. be ready for that moment when you have 30 days to impress these retailers and explain to the algorithm who you are and what you've just written. Mm. Yeah. That's that really is, great. Yeah. That is so smart. And that rolls yeah. right into our next question. Yes, it does. <laughs> what about marketing? What do you wish you'd known about marketing? This, this lesson that's some great advice already. (laughs) The lesson for marketing, I did not learn for a very long time. In 2014, after I had my first successful book at the end of 2013, I kind of was spinning gold. Mm -hmm. I published 13 books in 2014 because that was the year I uh, started JJ Knight. And I was also writing off my successful Deanna Roy series. Mm -hmm. All of them succeeded. All of them just were crazy bestsellers, made stupid amounts of money. It was my first big six-figure year. The first year my accountant went, okay, Deanna, what are you doing? We got to get this under control. Um, So I didn't have to worry too much about what I had to learn later and that there are two kinds of books. There's the kind of book that mostly sells to a warm audience who knows you and loves you. Yes. And then there's the books that you can actually advertise to a cold audience who doesn't know you and they're still interested. Right. Uh, I I didn't figure this out until I failed a whole bunch and I kept like pulling my hair and gnashing my teeth. Why can I sell so many copies of books and then suddenly I can't get rid of these? I can't get Mm -hmm. anyone to buy them. It wasn't really until the pickle, it's really recent, the pickle series had its first low performing book in the pickle verse that I went, okay, okay, it's happening again. What am I doing wrong? And it came down to one thing. The the book that was doing less well did not appeal to people who weren't already fans of the pickle verse. Mm-hmm. So it was only selling to repeat customers, to my super fans, to my newsletter list. It was not when I put it out on Facebook or AMS ads, attracting people in big enough numbers that I could make a good profit off that book. Mm-hmm. At that point, I recognized what I was dealing with. I was dealing with a cold audience clunker. I could only <laughs> really push. And this book was Spicy Pickle. It was the third pickle book. Spicy Pickle was only going to really appeal to my current market and that I should stop all advertising on that one and let it be picked up by mm-hmm. as a backlist book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually had a, a book bub on it about a month ago. It was the second book bub. So I knew it wasn't going to perform as well, but it it really underperformed. And I went, you know what? Spicy Pickle, I love you. You're amazing. I thought <laughs> you were marketable, but really you're for you're for the super fans. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I I know now what I did. Um, I mean, the cover's on point, the summary's on point, the the actually the tropes are on point. It's a fake engagement. That's one of the most popular mm-hmm. tropes there is. But uh, I didn't handle the fake engagement perfectly. It comes uh, too late in the book. It's too emotionally fraught. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people go, oh, fake engagement. And then they get to about chapter eight. It still hasn't happened. They're like, screw it. And they quit mm-hmm. reading. It's very mm-hmm. clear to me they quit reading yeah. uh, and they don't finish the book. So that yeah. that's not a cold audience book. I need to, to keep that. My super fans who are going to stick with me. Because they didn't pick it up for the trope. They picked it up because they like my stories. Yes. 
Yeah. And we should say JJ Knott writes in the pickle verse and it's (laughs) all the pickle books and, um, which I love so much. And I mean, you could not have picked a better. I mean, it's just gold for spicy romance. So uh, in spicy, funny romance. So I think that you really did just hit the mark on that one. But that's so interesting because I think we don't think about that at all. We don't think about books that are, uh, and I can see that I have, at least one of those books. It's it's the third one in my bride series. People, my regular readers stick with it because they know they can trust me, but new readers don't know they can trust me and that they're going to get, that I'm going to bring them from the beginning of this book that has a little weird beginning to the, to a very satisfying ending. And, um, and that's so interesting. And Deanna is this huge data person. She is like the person you want to go to. She she and Pippa Grant could do like master classes on data and what your readers like and where what you can bring to your readers that they will eat up with a spoon. So, yeah, uh, that's another reason I wanted you on because you just have such great information about I that. I love my spreadsheets. My spreadsheets have spreadsheet babies. If if this were a visual and I pulled up my spreadsheet, people would be like, oh, because they're color coded. They have heat maps. It's They're pretty incredible and they're incredibly useful to me because what they do for me is tell me within, you know, seven days of a new release. And sometimes I can see it even in pre-order that mm-hmm. I should reduce my spend or, oh, no, I got to go. I just got to go for broke on this yep. book. When Tasty Mango... I did a cover test for Tasty Mango. It's in the pickle verse by my JJ Knight book. I was just trying to figure out, I'd had a problem with the covers. Uh, Amazon was telling me that Big Pickle was too spicy of a title. Uh-huh. Um, when what it was really, it was the combination of the title and the cover image because he's lying in a bed without a shirt. Mm-hmm. And I was working on what do I do because I have to run these Amazon ads. And I was trying to find where is my sweet spot. So I was cover testing <clears throat> for Tasty Mango. Uh, the the single guy versus the couple versus the couple in a more of a clinch. It was just mm-hmm. a cover test. I usually spend about $30 on a cover test, mm-hmm. but I could see from the cover test how many pre-orders I was getting. And this for, was for a KU book, a very clear KU book. I was like, mm-hmm. I've got something here. Mm-hmm. Something about this book is going to go big. So I knew like, we're going to max the credit cards. We're going to do everything. <laughs> and it was worth it. It was completely worth it. That book took me to another level. Yeah. Um, so there's a, an amount that I can make on a launch. And then there's amount that I can make um, on the months that I don't have a new book. Mm-hmm. And after Tasty Mango, I never got as low as I could before it. Like my yeah. baseline of what I earn is significantly higher than it ever was before. Yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, and so were you testing all the covers or in... At that time, I was testing three. Three. So the first two books had released with, you know, your typical Manchester. Yeah. But then I got in trouble with, and they weren't letting me, because I was doing pretty, pretty big marketing spends on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I needed that marketing spend to start on day one. Mm-hmm. And I needed it to ramp up to mm-hmm. like four figures a day. Right. Mm-hmm. I, and I only do it for like seven days. I follow Sky Warren's very amazing plan. And if you get a chance to take one of Sky's classes, you should. Mm-hmm. Definitely helped me get to the next level. But if they were going to immediately pull my ads in like day two of my new release, I was going to struggle. So I was testing other covers to see if they would play as well. Could I recover the whole? And I did for Spicy Pickle, recover them all as as couples. Mm -hmm. Um, Within a week, I had changed it all again. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I was testing Tasty Mangoes. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I tested three, a Manchester and two couples. Uh, and that was the moment when I realized not only, no, it has to be a man test, but two, I have a book on my hands that is looking more popular than any book I've ever written. And it happened last summer that Tasty Mango became my best-selling book of all time. Wow. It actually beat Forever Innocent, even though Forever Innocent had an 11-year head start. Oh, it just, amazing. that was the Kindle all-star book. It yeah. went viral on TikTok. It made more money in its second year than it did in its first year. It was, it's just my little workhorse. Yeah. So if I ever just like, uh, Sky is one of, 
Sky Warren's things that she says to you is what can you do in an hour to make $500? Well, for me, what I can do if I have a month that's looking low is I can like amp up my ad spend on that book Mm -hmm. and I can goose it temporarily to make a lot more money. It won't last and I'll eventually kind of go into the red, but for temporarily, if I can get to a new pocket of people who've never seen that book before, I can make a a little bankroll. And when you Uh, have a book like that, it's, it's going to work for you for your entire career. It's like Katy Perry's fireworks song. Yeah, (laughs) She says, that's, that's the, that's the book that that's the song that will make her rich forever. She says that in some interviews and like, yeah, tasty mango is my fireworks. Yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. I think um, Elena Johnson talks about books that are thoroughbreds and then books Mm -hmm. that are zebras. And so like, if we can distinguish early on, which is which that's great. Mm -hmm. So I know people will be curious, were you changing out the covers in your books that were already live or were you doing this on like a pre-order? I did. Well, when I was doing my tests, it was in pre-order and I follow instructions. I'm very good about listening to what works in the community. I read all of the forums, I scan them every day. That's just part of my process. But I had a cover that only had the title treatment on it mm. so that all of the ads, if they saw it and they went to go pre-order it, they wouldn't get a moment of dissonance. Because mm-hmm. if you have a cover test with a hot ch- hot guy and then you go and you've got a couple, they think mm-hmm. it's the wrong book. Uh, and then yeah. they hesitate. And hesitation is worth at least a 30% drop off, if not yep. 50% drop off. So yeah. I wanted to make sure when they saw it, because they're, they're used to that. They're used to going to Amazon. I'm like, oh, she hasn't put the cover up yet. Mm-hmm. That does not create that drop off in a way that if it's a different cover. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I know. That is interesting. I love that. And I had not considered that uh, because I've never really tested covers Um maybe to my detriment, but it's kind of worked for me. But, but I've always wondered how people do that. I've I've just wondered how that works. And that makes total sense. I test Um, all my covers now, all of them, because I'm terrible. I'm terrible about picking the winning cover. I'm an oddball. I'm a goof. I like weird stuff. (laughs) Weird stuff does not make for best-selling books. So I, I rely on data. That's true. That's true. And you do rely on data a lot. Uh, What assumptions did you make at the beginning of your writing career? And looking back, did they turn out to be right or wrong? Oh, the biggest one is huge. It's so huge. I had this idea that once you were a six-figure author, you would always be a six-figure author. Yeah. You know, I had six (laughs) figures, 2014, 2015, 2016, and my life changed at the the end of 2015. And I became a foster parent and I didn't expect my, I didn't expect it all to cave in. Like Mm -hmm. it all Mm -hmm. caved in. Now I had planned for 2016 because I knew we would be getting children and I knew that I would be using a lot of my time. Um, We had been asking for slightly older kids. So we figured, Mm -hmm. I figured they'd, they'd be in school. I'd be able to do something. Right. I didn't expect one that one of them would not be in school. And I didn't yeah. expect that my emotional energy would be completely gone. I also yeah. didn't expect my mom to die in her sleep that year mm. while I had kids and adoption to fall through. Luckily, 2016, I had an, an assistant who was amazing and she worked almost full time for me. She was me that year. We box set everything I had. So mm-hmm. we had a box set release every couple of months and my 2016 income stayed at that six figure range that I expected. Right. But by 2017 with no new releases, I was yeah. starting to fall. Now mm-hmm. it was okay. I was still making a full-time amount of money and I thought I, mm-hmm. I can make this happen. And by 2017, things were calming down. So I started putting out books, um, but the trends had moved on. Mm-hmm. The marketing had moved on. I hadn't been able to do all the things I just told you about, which is like examine what's going on in our mm-hmm. community, seeing what's working, seeing what's not. And I, I started faltering. Mm-hmm. In 2018, I faltered a little bit more, still making a full-time income. I thought, okay, I'm still okay. And then 2019 happened. And uh, 2019 was the year I thought I was going to give up my indie career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I There was the, the new trend I'd studied at that point was clean and wholesome romance. Mm. And none of us like that title, but that's the category on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So I started writing it. A rapid release was the rule of the day. So Mm -hmm. I wrote four in advance. The idea was I was going to release six, two, drop two, and then release one a month after that. I had beautiful covers made. I had checked the market, I thought. um, And I thought I had good covers that were going to work. And I started launching and I hired a company to launch me in the sweet space because that wasn't where I was. It was a mm-hmm. new pen name. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I completely and absolutely fell on my face. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book made the first two books made like four thousand dollars in the first month, which is a decent amount of money. But I'd spent ten thousand so dollars. Yeah, that's not good, right? Yeah. And then the other books started coming out, and they were making like five hundred dollars each. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. So I very quickly pivoted. I said, okay, I'm done with that pen name. I got to go back. Mm-hmm. I got to find my other pen names. But it was just. I was like running against the wind. I couldn't get any anything to happen. Yeah. And so by the end of 2019, I was like, I might have to get a job. Mm-hmm. This was the first time I thought this was going to happen. And it was, it was a blow. It was a huge blow. I felt like I'd crashed all the way to the ground. I didn't, I felt like an imposter. <laughs> I felt this was this was the worst thing ever. Yeah. Now yeah. I did have an idea for the pickle story. I'd gotten the idea. We were sitting around with a bunch of friends. We had a book by, I think, Kara Bristol called Nice Words, Naughty Words for Nice Authors, right? Mm-hmm, it's a great mm-hmm. little book of, uh, it's a th- thesaurus for romance writers. And we were looking at all of the euphemisms for male anatomy. Yeah. And when somebody said pickle, it just popped into my head. Like, wouldn't it be funny if he actually worked at a deli? So he handled pickles <laughs> all the time, right? And then the women handled the pickles and then he passed the pickle. And I just, all these pickle jokes like ran through my head. And I got my phone out and I typed, write a pickle, romantic comedy set in a delicatessen. And I forgot about it. Uh. Uh, it had been sitting on my phone. At the end of 2019, I had already paid to go on this retreat with some really big authors um, Julia Kent was there. Pippa Grant was there. Yeah. The, and I mentioned their names because they were instrumental in what happened next. And we were walking They were We were just talking, going around the circle saying, what are you going to do next year? And I was nearly crying. I, I felt like such an imposter at this retreat. Oh, I felt like yeah. I just come all the way down. I didn't know what I was even going to be writing next year. Right. And I thought I was just going to bust out crying. And I told Julia Kent my idea. Um, and she's the one who spoke up and she said, Deanna is going to write a series set in a delicatessen, starting with Big Pickle. Mm-hmm. And the whole room just went bananas. Mm-hmm. And several people said, you write that. We're going to help you promote this yeah. book. Yeah. And that included included Pippa. And so I thought, well, gosh, I guess I have to write it now. Mind you, I was still looking for jobs because yeah. I, I couldn't trust that this was going to actually right. pan out. Right. I was looking at big big ad spends, big red marks in my business. I I didn't think it was going to happen or work. And then the pandemic hit. Uh-huh. So the pandemic took away my ability to really get another job because I had a kid at home yeah. who had big, you know, who needed a lot of support. Right. Uh, so I thought, no, I've got to make this work. So I just... I went for broke in a way that I hadn't gone for broke in a long time. I took Sky Warren's class. Mm-hmm. I paid a lot of money for that class, more money than I could really afford to do. Right. But I learned really quickly, this is the way to do Facebook ads. And I said, okay, mm-hmm. I've got this class. I've got this method of promoting. I've got some friends who are willing to help me. I got to make this happen. Yeah. I did the cover myself because I I was... <sighs> I was having a hard time figuring out. I wanted to be able to pivot. Sometimes when you hire a, co- a cover designer, you feel yeah. guided to that cover. And right. I wanted to be able to pivot on a dime. Like yeah. this cover doesn't work, do another one. This one doesn't mm-hmm. work, do another one. So mm-hmm. I just did it myself and I released that book and it was insane. Mm-hmm. Um, it hit the top 100. Absolutely, my friends helped that make that happen. This mm-hmm. was nothing. But the Facebook ads kept it up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was completely turned around. I mean, by... Mm-hmm. Mid-year, it was clear I was going to have another six-figure year, and I was all the way back, all uh, the way back. Yeah, not amazing. And the two best people in the world to help you with a book like that, Pippa and Julia, because they both write similarly. Yes. They would, I mean, mm-hmm. and you know, Julia was so incredibly instrumental in my when I first started too. She's just a an amazing person and. So very giving and really does not gatekeep. And um, yeah, so that's awesome. I had I don't think I'd ho- heard the whole story. So <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's the whole story. Yeah. 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 Well, and we've also, we've had Julia and Pippa both on the podcast. Yeah, so yeah we I'll have. Put, I'll put links to. Yeah, do because. Absolutely. In the show notes. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. because they, they have are. lots of good advice. They do. So that's amazing. And it's such a great story to hear and it's encouraging to mm-hmm. hear, you know, the, because I think we all feel like imposters at one point or another, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and obviously you'd had tons of success before, 
Yeah. So it can hit strike you at any time, I guess. So, yeah. Anytime. Yeah. yeah. So what's the biggest uh, change you've had to make in your thinking? The biggest one was from what I thought at the beginning to where I am now, that traditional publishing is the only way. Mm-hmm. It's for many mm-hmm. of us, actually, traditionally publishing is not the good way mm-hmm. at this point, especially for romance authors. You really want to think like, mm, do I want to try to go for a career in that space with the love hypothesis and some of those that are getting really big and that the TikTok yeah. darlings tend to be traditional. There's there's right. some indies, but they tend to be traditional. Mm-hmm. The TikTok tables at at you know Barnes and Noble are by and large traditional. We now see right. Bloom Books, you know, scraping up the best indies and putting them on those tables yes. because they can. Yes. And that's mm-hmm. been an I mean an amazing response to it. Yeah. But deciding that doing it on my own is fine. It mm-hmm. is fine. It took a long time. When I first started, that stigma was really big. Right. I had to just kind of be like, they can say these things, but that doesn't make them true. Right. But right. I, boy, I sure was up against it for, I mean, a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really hard. <laughs> I think that's hard for all of us. Um, even if we decide early that we're going to go indie, it's still, it's still in your it's mind. Still in there. It's still in your mind. You really only need one one um like my idol never meet your idols but my idol she made a she made a disparaging comment about indie authors and i mean that stays in my head all the time uh i know it's not true but it rears its ugly head every once in a while and i'm like ah, it's not true it's not true don't tell me those words yeah it's it's kind of hard i had well, a really it, Oh, no, go ahead. ahead. I had a really great moment with that a few years ago. Um, I occasionally speak. I'm a big part of the Writers League of Texas. I've been a member Uh since 96. And I usually Uh speak at their agents conference, which is kind of strange because I'm such a hardcore indie. But they liked bringing me on. It just shows you how progressive they were from the beginning. Like, here's someone who's being... At first, I was fairly successful. And then I became you know much more Mm -hmm. successful. And they had me speak. So we had a panel they used they like to bring me in kind of toward the end of the conference because some mm-hmm. of the authors there had been shot down a lot that weekend by agents yeah because the whole point of the conference is to have people meet agents i guess yeah. the whole point but they would bring me in and we had a panel called <clears throat> big house small house my own house and mm-hmm. of course i was my own house and we mm-hmm. had a big five editor there and we had a small house editor there and there might have been four of us but the small house editor his name will not say yeah. Was we were they, were they were asking questions and it, and one of the guys stood up and said, "What do we do if we we've had like a hundred rejections, you know, and <laughs> should we self publish?" And the guy next to me took the question. He said, "If you can't get an agent, you have no business publishing your book." Oh my gosh! I almost brought our I almost broke our expletive. No expletive. Uh... So I was sitting right next to him and there were two mics. So there were two mics. There was two for like the big house and the other one. And then there was two mics between him and I. And I literally grabbed the mic, dragged it in front of myself and said, I have had 360 agent rejections and I made $250,000 last year. How much did you make? And the whole room went nuts. And afterwards we had this little cocktail hour and I could, everybody came up to me. They wanted to hug me because they're like, Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for telling Mm -hmm. us that we do not have to make those people happy to be successful. Right. That's a huge lesson. It's an important. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. I don't know if I would have had the um, cojones to, uh, or cojones, however you say it. I'm not good with foreign languages. (laughs) And I'm not good with numbers. I'd be like, uh, I made a lot of money. Trust me. (laughs) So that sounds perfect. um, Now you have licensed the pickle verse with a publisher, correct? I have licensed JJ Knight romantic comedies. Ah, the pickle so. verse is still mine. So when I signed a traditional deal last year, and the books are coming out starting next month in June, mm-hmm. uh, we we speci- they specifically wanted a new series. Okay, okay. So it's it's pretty common that they want your magic. They yeah, don't yeah. want to hang on to your old magic. Right. Okay. They That's want new magic. Yeah. So okay. um, I wished, you know, I had 
maybe negotiate a little differently, but right now, um, JJ Knight is traditional. She's, uh, I released a book in January, but I don't have another one coming anytime soon. We're kind of like, I'm going to wait and see, let's see how this um, process goes. Mm -hmm. It's been a wonderful experience as far as the editors, the editors at Montlake where I signed, uh, which is an Amazon um, imprint. Mm -hmm. I went with them specifically because they were Amazon. Mm -hmm. Uh, JJ Knight is a KU author. Uh, I had released nine books in the Pickleverse and I felt like I'd sort of topped out. I couldn't Mm. get any higher, no matter what I did with my ad spends, no matter how I arranged my tropes, no matter how many butter scenes I put in from Theodora mm-hmm, Taylor's mm-hmm, seven figure mm-hmm, picture, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just couldn't seem to get any higher. I right. So that was when I said, I'm going to go to Montlake and see if mm-hmm. they can get me higher. Right. So it was a great negotiation. I went in very powerfully because, you know, mm-hmm. my agent, um, I had signed with an agent previously for actually a young adult book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was kind of interesting how that laid out, like two parts of my life came together at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did finally get an agent completely separate from my indie career because I've never released a young adult book uh, as an indie. I was kind of leaving that for my traditional space, if it ever happened, I'd signed with the agent and I thought, well, I have this agent. So I went to her and said, Hey, can we pitch only to Motley? Motley is the only traditional publisher I want as JJ Knight, Mm -hmm. because they understood. I'd seen Ilsa Madden Mills, Mm -hmm. you know, Pippa signed with them, Mm -hmm. um, quite a few, Megan Quinn had signed. I thought they understand that we have an indie career, but we can augment that with some traditional publishing. So Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm comfortable with them. Yeah. So my agent was like, sure, let's pitch. And we did. Um, they signed me, but we we sent them numbers. I mean, it was very mm-hmm. clear, like, this is what we do. You already know on the back end, plus, like, what my sales are, your Amazon. Yeah. yeah. So I went in with a position where they gave me almost exactly what I would have expected. So they met me exactly with a number that I would take. Mm-hmm. So that was part of it. That's great. Um, the other part was, can their marketing machine internally find those pockets of readers I can't seem yeah. to reach? Mm-hmm. The ones that I'm using AMS ads for, the ones I'm using Facebook ads for, the one I'm getting through BookBub, all those things that I do, there's there's, there's so many more. Mm-hmm. So that is what I'm hoping for. Mm-hmm. We do have some really big things happening. They mm-hmm. did get me one thing I never thought I'd get, and I have an NDA on it. But uh, when when the book comes out, it'll be clear, very clear what I got that I'd never gotten before. And I'm super excited about mm-hmm. that um, happening. Uh, so the editors were amazing. The copy editors were brilliant. The whole process was just amazing. They listened to what I said about the covers mm-hmm. when they sent me a cover guide that they said, oh, he looks grumpy. It's a grumpy sunshine book. I said, no, he looks drunk. Goodbye. And they're like, okay, mm-hmm. goodbye. And they mm-hmm. chucked him. There was none of this pushback. Like we know what we're doing. They're like, no, yeah. we're going to listen to her. Yeah. So what yeah. kind of experience is that? It was amazing. So That's I just, awesome. the whole experience has been, been great. I'm anxious yeah. to see how the release goes. Yeah. So, so they bought, I mean, they have, they own JJ Knight. They will not technically, technically they only own this series and only own okay. it for a year. Okay. But if I want to keep publishing with them, I have to send them my next book. Oh, okay. So okay. if I publish it myself, then, then we're done. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's what, what we're working at. So that's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting to yeah. see how we do. Yeah. And then I will either pitch them another book or mm-hmm. I'll be like, this was fun. What a great party. I'm going to go now. <laughs> I think that's got, great because I, I like, left something in the oven. I gotta get. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you've come full circle though, because like you yeah. had your moment where you're like, I can do this myself, and now you have an opportunity to possibly use traditional publishing to expand what you're doing. So you're taking it. I think it's very interesting. It's a and you come in with you thing. come in with pa- with power, yes. frankly, uh, instead of a lot of us. I think a lot of people that go to traditional publishers or query or whatever, they, we feel so powerless. Like we're just like, please take us. And you're like, let me yeah, tell you what I bring to the table. And yeah. they already knew. So that was great. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. When you're a new author, you don't have many no, negotiating you levers or tactics. No. You kind of just kind of <laughs> mercy. So. You got no leverage. Yeah. <laughs> and well, honestly, the leverage is really only with Amazon imprints because yeah. when we went on sub with my young adult, that leverage was not there. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you know, they look at book scan, they look at the, they look at print book sales. Yeah. And for an indie, that might not be very big. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I do sell print, but nothing. I mean, it's such a tiny, tiny piece yes. of the whole pie. Yeah. yeah. It's a different game. Yeah. It doesn't mm-hmm. impress them. My yeah. my print sales are not impressive. 
Yeah. Right, right. Well, tell us about your women's fiction because you're mm-hmm. doing that now as well, right? Yeah, I did write my first uh, women's fiction. I guess technically baby dust, if we go back to it, it was kind of women's fiction, but mm-hmm. it was such a niche. This one I wrote, you know, in the the broader sense of, you know, um, some of the big authors, the big trad authors. I sort of like, I'm going to gun for that because I've loved those books. Um, I love writing steamy romance, but I also like writing these like quieter seaside saga sort of mm-hmm. kind of books. Um, I had had Abby, she had written all the sweet romance. I thought, well, I'm not going to go that route again, but the women's fiction is something it's was well, my hobby book, mm-hmm. um, but I did set it up. I have set it up with all the tropes. I've set it up with the right cover. I've set it up to be a book that could make a big splash, but my expectations are different. I had such a blast writing it. It was such mm-hmm. a joy. It reminded me why I always had this plan, like have these day job books, which I like to write and I enjoy writing. And yet they are on a schedule. They're on a deadline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have to write them and release every so often to maintain, you know, my day job. Same mm-hmm. as you would have to turn in projects mm-hmm. for a, a real job. This one I could do as fast or as slow as I wanted, but I had this space, this space where I had written all these books. I've already got my two trad books done. They're ready to go. They're in mm-hmm. advanced reader copy. They're just finished and had a gap. Like, mm-hmm. well, I'm not going to pitch a book to them until I see how these do. I'm like, this is my opportunity to write mm-hmm. whatever I want. And women's fiction is what it turned out to be. Mm-hmm. So I'm super excited. Um, I have a Patreon And one of the things I opted to do is like, who could read this book and kind of not just tell me if I've made a mistake, like you, you dropped this subject, you know, or we saw this person and we never saw them again, but who would actually read it and talk to me? And I'm like, where are my super fans? And then I realized my Patreon, my Patreon Mm -hmm. is where my super fans are and they don't care what I write. If I wrote a Mm -hmm. picture book, they would read it. If I wrote, you know, (laughs) a nonfiction on jogging, they would probably read it. Uh, so I went there and my Patreon has been reading it. I've been releasing a chapter a day mm-hmm. to the Patreon, uh, which and they're going bananas over it. They all feel like this is the strongest thing I've ever written. Um, I ended up, because I was releasing a chapter a day, writing it almost like serial fiction. Mm-hmm. It had to have this really like powerful and then kind of mm-hmm. at the end. So, dun, they're like, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, we can't wait for tomorrow. We want to see what happens. So I know that the, the pull taking you mm-hmm. through the book is strong. Uh, and I just, and I set it up where I could write these kind of forever. It's mm-hmm. just a small town on a fictional, you know, seaboard, mm-hmm. like little, little villa basically. And if it does badly, well then, yeah, it'll be my hobby when I have free time, I'll add mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. but I won't have the expectations that it would sell like a pickle. Right. Book. right. And tell us why you wanted to write it in what, how many days did you write this book? <laughs> well, in 25 days. Yeah, 25 days. 75,000 words in 25 days. Well, honestly, Abby Tyler is the pen name I was going to use for this one. And she got a book bub out of the randomness of, <laughs> you know, I thought Abby had gotten a book bub randomly a couple of years ago in the middle of the um, pickle verse. And I'm like, I can't stop and write an Abby book. I've got mm-hmm. a lot of momentum. But mm-hmm. right now I thought, well, let's just try to get a book bub for her. If she doesn't get it, fine. I've got a book I'm working on for my agent. And if she does get it, well, why don't I just toss out another book? Because I think most people realize, or maybe you don't, that after a book bub, particularly after a free book bub, you've got mm-hmm. 20, 30, 40, sometimes 70,000 people downloading your book in a very mm-hmm. short period. If you can release a new project, even if it's just a box set of your old mm-hmm. work, something new uh, in the 30 days following that period, it's going to have the best shot it will ever have of launching well. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that's where the recommendation engine is going to send everyone. Mm -hmm. They all Mm -hmm. just got a book from you the last 30 days. Mm -hmm. Amazon in particular loves to send out, well, a person you read recently has a new book out. Mm -hmm. They don't even have to follow you for Amazon to send that recommendation out um, or to make it a pop-up after you buy some other book. So I thought, well, let me just capitalize on that momentum and write it really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use the the Patreon fans to help me not make any mistakes mm-hmm. because I wasn't going to have time to really go over it and over it and mm-hmm. over it. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, they would catch things. They're like, well, she loves her grandma. Where's her grandma? Don't forget mm-hmm. to make her find her grandma. I'm like, oh, no, I got to find the yeah. grandma. Yeah. 
those were balls that I would have dropped writing this quickly. Um, But it was really fun. But that was why I did it so quickly. I'm trying to capitalize on that because if Abby's ever going to have a redemption arc, which I don't know that she is, (laughs) given that she nearly tanked my entire career, uh, they will be here. This will be the redemption arc. What happened? I don't know. Don't know. But you get, but I mean, it's what you said earlier, your your definition of success is to have the full enough full-time income to do these hobby projects. And I think that's great. Um, can you talk to us about the recommendation engine? I just think I've learned a lot from you about that. And um, I think our listeners would really enjoy hearing your thoughts on that and how Amazon works with that. So I'll preface this with that I have one KU pen name and I have Mm -hmm. three wide pen names. Mm -hmm. So I'm coming at this from both points of view. Um, But in particular with Amazon, Amazon really likes new, recent, and proven. Mm -hmm. So if they know for a fact that uh, someone has like read all the way through one of your books Mm -hmm. or they've downloaded more than one of your books... Um, or even if a bunch of people have downloaded a book in the same categories with some of the similar keywords, and then here comes yours and it has that same cohort of readers, they are more likely to recommend your book in lots of places. There's mm-hmm. multiple types of emails that go out. There's the, you follow this author, here's a new book, or we just like, we think you would like this book recommendation emails. There's there's a deal on an author that you have bought before, emails that go out. There's the pop-ups at the end of your Kindle when you finish a book, it says, here's what we suggest you read next. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last year or so, we're seeing less and less that it's always another book by that author. It can be somebody else. If they think it's more likely that you're going to, that the reader is going to choose a different book than even another by this author, they'll do it. They'll put Mm -hmm. that pop up there. So Mm -hmm. it can hurt you. It can help you, but you need to be aware of it as you make your plans. Mm -hmm. So the prevailing theory a long time ago, that if you're going to do either a book bub, or as my friend Blair Babylon likes to say, a book snub, where you don't get the book bub, and you instead do e-reader news today, and free book see, and you you stack a bunch of things to kind of get at least a good bump, regardless of which way you do it, uh, you have 30 days to show off your, you know, ability to sell a book to Mm -hmm. the recommendation engine. So it can Mm -hmm. either be 30 days after a new book is launched or 30 books after you got a big bump of any kind. Mm -hmm. That is the moment when you want to release a new book or maybe introduce a new box set Mm -hmm. uh, because that is when you're new, shiny, and proven for that recommendation engine to place you in all these spots. Mm-hmm. to get you in front of readers. That's uh, it's also the best time to start advertising mm-hmm. um, because I, there's lots of ways to start from zero and we have lots of people out there who have classes on that. Um, but that's hard. It's mm-hmm. really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, if you start with your $5 a day, it's just, Sky Warren calls it the sensitive barometer. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult to see if you're really making any traction or to make anything worth the time and effort you're putting into it when you're starting at, let's say, 200000 in the ranks mm-hmm. on Amazon and trying to get it up to where the recommendation engine will notice you. Yeah. If you get a book above like 20,000 in ranks, that's your moment. That's your Mm. moment to do all the things you've ever wanted to try. Amazon ads, BookBub ads, the other ones that you pay for, Mm -hmm. not the featured deals, uh, Facebook ads. That's your time because that is the moment where there's already grease in the machine Mm -hmm. and you're greasing it more and greasing it more. Yeah. Uh, If you're trying to pay for a click ad and Amazon works on relevance. And honestly, all the retailers work on relevance. If they don't feel you have relevance to other books, they're not going to recommend you. Mm -hmm. Now, relevance can be bought. Relevance Mm -hmm. can be created. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my, with this women's fiction novel, I put it up for pre-order. And the very first thing I noticed, I didn't tell any of my fans it was out because I was scared Mm -hmm. to, because they're all Mm -hmm. pickle readers and they're going to go mess it all up. Mm -hmm. So I I was trying to see who were the also bots, who were the sponsored row beneath that book. And it was all Mm -hmm. steamy romance. I'm like, no, because I've just ruined the whole launch. Yeah. Yeah. Because now Amazon's going to like say, well, everybody Mm -hmm. is steamy that you know, it seems to be buying this book in Mm pre-order. So when it releases, we're going to send it out to a bunch of steamy readers. Well, there's Mm -hmm. no steam in this women's fiction at all. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they're very quickly going to look at it and go, no, thank you. And then Amazon's going to go, 
oh, this book's a dud. I'm going to quit recommending it. The recommend engine will just flatline your book. And that's how a book fails. Mm -hmm. I needed my relevance to be bought. I had two ways to do it. One was that I did a very low spend, um, $10 a day Facebook ad specifically to two or three really big trad authors in this space. Mm-hmm. And it'll be different for all of you, whether you're a thriller or whatever. You find who those big trad authors are. You send a very low spend ad to there. And I fixed it within $30. I won't even say mm. how many days. It was $30. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's all I had to spend and it was all fixed. I saw a bunch of umbrellas and beach cottages and inns. I'm like, yes, that was mm-hmm. what I'm supposed to have down there. Now I know that the recommendation engine understands my book and who to market it to. Right. The second thing you could do, um, and I did both of these things, is I have an email list. So I sent an email out, um, just random, like, hey, everybody, here's me. And I put two books in it. I put a steamy book, and then I put a piece of women's fiction that would be a perfect also bought for my book. Mm-hmm. And then I waited a week, and I saw who chose the little beach umbrella book over the hot steamy guy. Mm-hmm. I collected that very small group of people. It was very small. And then I sent them the pre-order to my book. They were the very first people who got the links to my pre-order. So when they smart. clicked on it, that was it. Because obviously yeah. they were choosing it over Steamy. That told me their backlist of reading was mm-hmm. going to match this book. Yeah. So between those two things, I fixed it. And now wow. I'm ready to launch. That's that's just fabulous. Fabulous. I did that with uh, in back when the scammers were all, you know, at one book that I had coming out. On the pre-order, the also bots were a lot of the scammers and I didn't want them in my pre. So I ran some Amazon ads to just to directly to more rom-com kind of thing. And I was able to fix it too, but it took it longer than what you say, three days. It took it about a week, but still it was better than having, mm-hmm. plus those books were steamier than mine, you know, I mean, so it's not a great thing, but I think that is so, so smart. And just grabbing those um, emails and sending the pre-order link. That's mm-hmm. really, yeah. that's great. There's a lot of advice out there to find the people that are the authors that are in the top 100 of Amazon or the books that are in the top 100 yeah. of your genre and then run mm-hmm. your ads to those books. Yeah. And I don't think that's the best way. The mm-hmm. best way is to find what Amazon already thinks mm-hmm. and work with that. So if you look at that sponsored row, if you look at your author page and see you know other authors these people read, those are the people you need to be targeting. Mm-hmm. You know, Find the best of those and then work your way up as you move higher. Because if yeah. you are, you know, like Pippa Grant's been like number one and number two for weeks now, mm-hmm. everybody and their dog is going to try to hit on her name on Amazon mm-hmm. ads. But unless you're a really good fit and relevant, mm-hmm. then you're just bidding yourself into oblivion. It's not yeah. going to work. Start yeah. down lower, start lower to where you are and climb that ladder. Mm-hmm. Pay the 30, the 40, the 50 cent bids. Don't go for the $3 bids just to get mm-hmm. in that top 100 right. you know, place of impressions. Yeah. Right. Relevancy. Mm-hmm. So important. It that. is. It yeah. is. And we don't, I don't know that we talk about it enough. Um, you know, when we're talking to apps and stuff like that. So that's, thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. That was really great. Yeah. Well, this has been so good. So much mm. good information. Yes. Like solid gold information throughout the whole thing. So, <laughs> but we do always like to ask, what is the best thing you think you've done to set yourself up for success? Absolutely. 100%. It's finding other authors to yeah. go on the journey with. I mean, I think at every juncture in my career where I was at a point where I had to either go big or take my ball and go home, um, there was someone there to say, okay, Deanna, I think this is what you could change Mm -hmm. and make this work. Whether Mm -hmm. it was way back in 2013 with Forever Innocent when I was on book 13 and I was trying to raise money to adopt a child and they were like, we're going to get this adoption money for you. You're Mm going to take this baby loss information from Baby Dust, that very intense storyline, and you're going to put it in a new adult romance Mm -hmm. and then we're going to kill it. And nobody had done that. Nobody had Mm -hmm. given these young, a young couple, a baby loss storyline. And Mm -hmm. that book just catapulted me into having a career. Mm -hmm. And then of course, infamously, when I thought I'd all crashed to the ground, it was sitting in a room with several, you know, other authors who said, nope, you're going to write this book because it's a great idea and we're going to help you. And if you can find that in your life, whether you start with, you know, the keyboards or a discord server on clubhouse or on a Facebook group, wherever it is that you like to live, 
that is what's going to get you through this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether everybody has a part, whether they're the people who lift you up or even if it's the complainers, mm-hmm. I love to listen to the people who are upset and frustrated because I'm, I learn from them. Yeah. Like I'm not selling any books. Well, I like to go look at their book and I'm like, Oh, I bet it's their cover. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, their blurb is too long and I right. learn from them too. Mm-hmm. So there's a place for everybody in your circle, but in your closest circle, of course, you want the ones who are going to lift you up. Yeah. That's more gold right there. That's so good. That's so good. Well, tell people where they can find all about you and your books and all of that good stuff. So jjnight.com is where you can enter the pickle verse. I just had to retool it. It was kind of interesting. Like, oh my gosh, I've got these big books coming out from Montlake and they're not pickle books. And my whole thing was wrapped around that. So now it looks, I'm like still trying to figure out how to design it to like, these books look very different than the other books, but that is where I'm found. If you want to talk to me, you most likely will find me on Facebook. My Facebook group is so amazing. They make me go to Facebook every day. And it's a joy to go to Facebook because my group sustains me, my fans sustain me. So I love that as well. So you can find me as Deanna Roy. You can find me as JJ Knight. If you want to stalk like everything I do, like all my pen names, um, my daughter took a gap year because she was a pandemic graduate and she built a website for me called readlaughswoon.com. And there, all my pen names get to commingle and uh, be part of the thing. I love awesome. That. that was great. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. Well, we will have all those links in the show notes and just thanks for coming on today and sharing so much good information. And thanks to Alexa Larberg for editing and producing the podcast and to Adriel Wiggins for doing all the admin. We'll mm-hmm. See everybody next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.